Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to see you all here. And uh, is it good to know the end of the story? Uh, we've been following along the story of Esther and Mordecai and God's people. And uh, from what we've heard today, it all turns out well. You know, it's easy uh, to finally be at the end and uh, to know what's happened. Uh, and it's good that it's all good. Uh, by the way, for our guests here, my name's Anton, I'm Senior Minister. Hello as well if you're watching online, it's great to have you join us. Uh, when you're at the end of the story, it's all very well to look back and see how it's all turned out, but it's not so easy when you're in the middle, is it? And uh, Esther and Mordecai went through some things, haven't they, or didn't they, as we've seen through our series Remember when Esther was taken to the king's harem right at the start? I wouldn't blame her for fearing the worst. Or when Esther decided to appear before the king unannounced, I'm sure her heart was in her mouth, uh, wondering whether the king would accept her or send her off to be uh, executed. Or Mordecai was just one day away from being impaled on a pole. And even right up to our passage today, at the start of our reading today, there was still the decree for the destruction of God's people hanging over their heads. It's hard to be in the middle when you're in, when you're in the midst of everything happening rather than at the end. And we're all in the middle, aren't we? Things have happened in the past and we're not at the end of our own story. We're in the middle. And we're all going through things in the middle. We're all going through things. Some things are good, some things are really, really hard. And we don't know how they'll turn out. Well, what is God saying to us in the middle? God knows the end of the story, just like we now know the end of Esther's story. He has the whole perspective. So this morning, what is God saying to us? in the middle. Well, let me ask God uh, to speak to us today. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have always something to tell us when we read your word. Please help us to hear what you're saying and may it lead us to trust you, whatever we are going through in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I hope you have uh, enjoyed our series on Esther and enjoyed the story of Esther. Uh, particularly well done for those of you who have uh, joined us here or online for all four weeks of the series. I'm sure you're reaping the spiritual benefits of uh, your efforts. Uh, you've got an overview of the whole story. And uh, the story is one big movement, one big movement from a uh, uh, from God's people being under an edict of death. Remember, Haman, the bad guy, the enemy of the Jews, manipulated the king to issue an edict to destroy all of God's people. And so, for most of the story, this edict is hanging over the heads of God's people. What will happen to them? They're heading towards destruction. But of course, as we've heard today, it moves from there through to victory. Victory over God's enemies. And a feast instituted to always remember their salvation. 
And so for uh, the victory, let me take you through the events of these chapters briefly. You might want to open up again to Esther chapter 8. And let me read to you from verse 3, uh, which says, Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. It's clear here that Esther doesn't know the end of the story. She's right in the middle, even at this point. Haman is dead, but his evil plan lives on. Because remember, that first uh, edict was to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. That's what was decreed uh, not too long ago. And so uh, Esther weeps at the feet of the king. One second. Esther weeps at the feet of the king, but thankfully uh, for her and for all God's people, the king was willing to act. He can't revoke the old order, that's not allowed, but he can write a new one against it. And so we heard in verse 11 of our passage today, uh, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. So in a direct reversal of that first edict, the Jews can fight in self-defense against anyone who would want to destroy them. So it's looking up for God's people. Uh, the king has now had his second edict. And so the Jews should be fine. But the month of the 13th of Adar was still nine months away from this point. And so all the enemies of the Jews had plenty of time to decide whether to carry out that first edict and attack the Jews. But sadly, many were still enemies of God's people, and they attacked them. But, as we read, God's people were victorious. An annual feast called Purim was established to remember that the Jews exist because of these events. And Jews still celebrate the feast to this day. Well, it's a great story, the book of Esther. But what is it telling us? How will this help us seek to live our lives for God? Well, right back at the start of the series, I mentioned that as we read the Bible, we're asking God, God, tell us your story. And so the story of Esther is God telling us his story and inviting us to be part of it. And in particular, this book is inviting us to reflect on the middle. It began, of course, with an edict of death and ended with victory. But how is God involved from here to here? What is going on uh, with God and his world and his people? How is he interacting with Mordecai and Esther and the king and others between those two points? I think that's why the book of Esther is in the Bible. I think that's why it's part of God's story. It's getting us to reflect on how God is involved in the middle. Because we could kind of transplant that into our own lives. 
we have our own edict of death hanging over us. It's not one from a foreign king, but we live under the shadow of sin and its consequences. Our world is messed up and we are messed up because we've messed up things with God, our maker. And God's right judgment awaits. But of course, if you trust in Jesus, we can have victory too. We know that that's where we're heading because, uh, say in 1 Corinthians, we read, Thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the coming of Jesus, He brings victory over sin and its consequences. And we'll receive this full salvation when Jesus returns. But for now, we're in the middle. For now, we're in the middle. The victory is yet to come. And I don't know about you, but I want to know, what is God doing in the middle? That's where we're at. What is God doing now in our lives? And it's a funny question to ask about in the story of Esther, because in Esther, there's there's no miracles. There's no voices from above. There's no prophecies. I don't know about you, but that sounds fairly similar to my life. No voices from above, no prophecies, no miracles. But that doesn't mean that God is not at work in the middle, in our lives now. The story of Esther, because it's God's story, is showing us that God is active in our lives. And the truth that is on view here is the doctrine of providence. We know the doctrine of creation, God made the world, but how does he relate to the world ongoingly? How does God work in the middle? That's what the doctrine of providence is all about. You know, because God could, uh, God could have been like a, like a clockmaker. You know, he made the world like a clock, made the clock, put batteries in and just kind of set it on the shelf And then off the clock goes. Is that what he does with the world? He's made it, set it up, set up all the systems and then just leaves it to run its own course. Or is he like a a micromanaging boss? Have you had one of those? You know, he gives you, gives you a task, gives you a role, but then always meddles in what you're doing and uh, tells you what you're doing wrong or tells you how you, how you should be doing it. And he ends up, or she ends up doing it themselves, and you end up really demoralized. Is God like that? Well, no, the Bible says God continues to do things in this world through the natural systems he established, and even through the wills of the people he has created to bring about his divine purpose. So it's not set and forget but it's not kind of robotic control. No, he works through the systems he's established. He works through his people and events to bring about his divine purpose. So, quick theology lesson. Uh, there are three aspects to God's providence, God's ongoing work towards his creation. And the first is preservation. God preserves or upholds all of creation continually. You know, so why do the stars and the planets stay in their orbits? Well, God holds them there. 
God is active. You know, he holds them by the gravitational force he created, but he's actively upholding the universe. God preserves the world, and he preserves the world through Jesus. This is the work of God the Son. For it says in Hebrews, the Son is sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so that means that every day we can thank God. We've always got a reason to thank God. Because each day he's preserving our world. Allowing it or making it continue to exist. Our second aspect of providence is concurrence. Concurrence. This is God cooperating with created things. Including each of us. Working in every uh, action and event. He is involved in all that happens so that what happens is just as God wants. So, uh, as Vashti, Queen Vashti at the start of our Esther story, uh, when she chose not to obey the king's orders, God was involved. Or uh, as Esther, among, against all the odds, was chosen to be queen, God had a hand in that. Or as Xerxes decided to have the record of his reign read when he couldn't sleep, well, God works concurrently with his decision. In every little thing, God is at work. And thirdly, last aspect of providence is God is, uh, is government. His ongoing work is partly his government. God governs or he directs all things to accomplish his purpose. Uh, we see this in something somewhere like Ephesians. God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And so in Esther, God worked all the events of her life so that through her and Mordecai, God's will of preserving his people was accomplished. And it's particularly these last two aspects of God's providence that we see all through the story of Esther. So it helps us answer the question, how do we get from here to there? Well, it's through God's providence his concurrent work with with humans and the events, and his government, his his uh, his uh, governing of all the outcomes towards victory for God's people. God's fingerprints, if you look closely, he's not mentioned, but his fingerprints are all, are all over the story. Because there are some big coincidences in Esther, isn't there? Just one or two. Uh, you know, you think of all the women of the harem. From all around the, the, uh, all the provinces of Persia. It's one of God's people who's chosen to be queen. Or, uh, uh, when Mordecai, one of the officials, uh, in the, in the court, just happened to be at the right place at the right time to overhear the assassination plot against the king. Or when Haman cast lots to, to set a date to wipe out the Jews, the lot falls on a date months and months in advance, which allows time for other events to happen. And of course, the big one, uh, when uh, the timing of King Xerxes' insomnia, uh, he has his story time reading of uh, his uh, chronicles read out to him all that's happened in his, uh, in his reign. And uh, that leads him to remember, oh, I haven't honored Mordecai for saving my life. 
And uh, then that very next day, Mo- um, Haman comes in to uh, ask for Mordecai to be impaled on a pole. But yet the king is all set in his mind he's going to honor Mordecai. All those happened just in the nick of time. It's almost as if someone behind the scenes is pulling the strings. Well, God is behind the scenes working concurrently with the decisions and actions of his people so his will will be accomplished. And we also see God at work through Esther in the reversals in the story. God is the God of reversals. And so Mary sings, uh, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. All through the Bible, God is a God of reversals. And so think of all the reversals in Esther. You know, how can an edict, which can't be revoked, to wipe away, to wipe out God's people, how can that end up with None of God's people being wiped out and all of them saved and rejoicing. Or at the start, the Jews, uh, being a Jew was so precarious in the empire that Esther kept her identity hidden. But then as we heard in 817 today, people from all nationalities are now becoming Jews. Or, uh, you know, Haman, who is exalted at first by the king, well, of course, is brought down and Esther is exalted and given his entire estate. Or when, uh, Mordecai, uh, when Haman uh, expects to be honoured by the king, you know, who else would the king want to honour but me? Well, instead, Mordecai is honoured uh, uh, um, instead. And of course, when Mordecai is in sackcloth, he's mourning the edict, the first edict of destruction. But we heard today, he ends up in royal garments, filled with joy. So all these reversals and all those coincidences, they're getting to think about how does God work? God in his providence works through the everyday circumstances, the choices everyday people make to bring his plan to fruition. Uh, Here's what commentator Karen Job says about it all. She says, the book of Esther invites us to reflect on God's continual superintendence of history and therefore his superintendence of human decisions and actions. Without any observable miracle or any detectable intervention by God, human decisions led to an outcome that God had promised many centuries before. This outcome was not only against all human expectation, it was the exact reversal of the expected outcome. So if Esther is God's story... And through it, God is showing us how he works in our world. Well, what's that mean for our story? What's that mean for my story and your story? What's it mean for us in the middle of our story? Well, three things, comfort, confidence, and worship. Comfort, confidence, and worship. Firstly, the book of Esther should be a great comfort to us. Because in it, God is telling us, I'm your loving Heavenly Father. Keith was right. I'm working through everything that's going on in your life. All the events that happen are guided by a personal God who knows you 
who loves you and knows what's best for you. And so there's no such thing ultimately as luck or blind fate. You know, we're not at the whim of random uh, random chance in this life. No, God is at work in all things. And so, uh, and so you're pipped at the last minute by someone giving a better offer. And so you don't get that house that you wanted. Well, God is active in those events. For some hidden reason, he sees it best that you don't have it. He loves you. He knows what's best. So take comfort even though you're disappointed. Or think about that thing that you're worrying about. You know that thing? It's the thing that keeps running through your head as you're trying to get to sleep. You know, whatever happens with that thing, God is active through it. Whatever happens won't be God's plan B for you. Because of God's providence, he always works through our circumstances to make sure what he wants to happen will happen. It's only plan A with God. And so even though we don't know how it will turn out, it may not be how we want it to turn out, but God is still working through it. Because I wonder if you think along kind of these lines, you know, we're, we're here and we think the best thing for us is to be there. That would be the best outcome in, in our minds. But actually, we end up here. And we're quite disappointed because we wanted to be up there. But we're here. And we're a bit grumpy at God because like, God, why didn't you make it turn out like we wanted it to? But what we don't see is if we end, if we end up down here, then that will lead us to there. And that's the best place for us. It's what our Heavenly Father wants most for us. And we see this somewhere in Romans 8. Uh, which says, and we know that in all things God works. That's a statement of God's providence, isn't it? All things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose for? What's his purpose for us? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants you there. He wants you more like Jesus. And getting you there is not just, uh, is, uh, is what you need. It's, ju- it's just what you need to be more like Jesus. So we can take great comfort that all the events are being uh, superintended by God, the God who loves you. And if you love him, he's working through all things to make you a person more like Jesus, the perfect one. So we can have great comfort and we can have great confidence to act and decide through life. Because you might be thinking, oh, you know, if God works through all things, then why should I bother doing anything? You know, if God, if God's will will be what it is, then why should I work hard at all? It'll just happen anyway. Or if God knows who are his, then why should I bother sharing my faith? God will just bring them in anyway. Or, um, you know, God knows when I'm going to die. Why should I bother eat healthily? It's already determined. Well, God has given us the responsibility to do things, along with the promise that he will make sure his will is done. Our reformer, John Calvin, says, 
For he who has fixed the boundaries of our life has at the same time entrusted us with the care of it. God has made us responsible, accountable creatures. God has made us to have our own will, not just kind of animal instincts. And he gives us the responsibility to make decisions that are pleasing to him. God being providentially at work doesn't erase this. God made us like this. This is who we are. And so Mordecai was right to encourage Esther to act to save her people. He had confidence that God's will would happen either way, but God has put us in situations to act for his honour and glory, just like Esther did. And so you might have a big decision to make. We'll make it. You might be wondering whether you should do that thing that you wanted to do. Well, God's given you the responsibility to make a choice. That's how God made you. And whether it's a bad choice, whether it's a good choice, we can have confidence that God's providence is walking alongside us. And very quickly, finally, this should lead us to worship Jesus. It should lead us to worship. Because God's providence should remind us of the events of Jesus' life. Because Judas, he decided to betray Jesus. Some of the Pharisees uh, chose to bring him to trial. Pilate decided to abdicate uh, a decision and washed his hands and just gave them uh, over to the crowd, gave Jesus over to the crowd's cry of crucify him. Yet in all those human decisions, through all those circumstances, God was active. And so we read in Acts that the man Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus' crucifixion was done by the wills of wicked people. God didn't force them to do it. But God brought about his plan through their willing choices. And God will hold them responsible for it. But it was all part of God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And so through God's providence, Jesus died on the cross to bring a greater salvation than even Esther and Mordecai experienced. Esther and Mordecai saved a generation of God's people, but they've now all died out. But through Jesus, God saves all of God's people so that when he returns, they will never again die out. And so just like we know from from Esther of the victory God's people had in Esther and Mordecai's time, we can know the victory of what is coming. Our fight with sin will soon be over. Our time of suffering and mourning will all be gone soon because our ending will be when we see Jesus. And so knowing that, let us worship him now in the middle, right through to the end. And as the band comes up, we're going to do that now. We're going to sing, reminding each other that God's plan was accomplished on the cross. Nothing more needs to be done for us to look forward to the victory that is to come. Please stand and we'll sing.